0: The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. This is Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hardim. Toronto's News, Today's Talk, 640 Toronto. Uh,
1: Good evening, my friends. Welcome to the month of August the month to go for the summer so we can still enjoy ourselves uh, boy oh boy uh great summer uh lots of volatility on bay and wall street but uh, well, the last 30 days have been a bit of a turn of events certainly technically on the market uh, front i shall say some damage has been repaired um uh, interesting movement going on i must say lots of rotation within the space um a space that we haven't spoken about very much, I'd say, for the last 18 months has been the cannabis, the right. cannabis space. Um, fortunately, uh, Matt Bottleby, one of our star analysts, uh, is here to help us um, delve into that sector. It's been quite cold, I shall say. Uh, Matt, uh, bring us up to speed. Uh, cannabis has been quite unloved uh, for the last 18 months. And uh, this year was perhaps uh, a potential turnaround year, but we 're not really seeing much uh, evidence uh, around that uh, what's what 's the landscape uh, in the land of cannabis?
2: Yeah, uh, hope everything's doing well um, so I think that um, you know for the most part, it really depends on you know which operators you're looking at the equities of course, yes, for the most part it's been the better part of almost two years where we 've seen some pressure but what we've really seen is is a, is a continued um, you know differentiation between the Canadian players like the Canopy Growths uh, and Aurora Cannabis is where uh, the saturation in the Canadian market just is getting worse, right? So you have you know 800 licensed producers all competing for these government purchase orders, uh, where pricing is coming down and it's becoming much much more difficult to become profitable. Um, and I think that we need to see some changes on the regulatory front. Uh, which are not expected to occur till at some point, you know, into next year. So unfortunately, on the Canadian side of things, it's probably getting better before, or it's probably getting worse before it gets better. Um, but in the U.S., I think things are going well, and, and the pressure on valuations there, I think it's just a function that it's still a Schedule I drug, and institutions can't own those equities yet.
1: So it continues to really be a, not show-me story, but a news event-driven story, completely driven from the United States. Uh, around legislation. Uh, So where does uh, America stand with ultimately uh, legalizing or decriminalizing uh, cannabis?
2: Yeah, it seems like it's, uh, you know, the headlines are getting more favorable, but the actual clarity isn't getting uh, more clear. So when you look at, um, you know, recent headlines, we saw Senate Majority uh, Leader Chuck Schumer just put in a, a piece of legislation called the Cannabis Administration and Opportunity Act this was a couple weeks back when you saw a bit of a bit of a bid in the sector uh sort of across the board. And really what that is looking to do is to deschedule cannabis from from being a schedule one controlled substance uh and to have a lot of criminal record expungements. Now the issue with this is we have the November November midterm elections coming up where it's largely anticipated Republicans will take more power. Um and you know, here we are in the the recess since the Senate starts uh at the end of this week, so we're not gonna really get any more updates till September. And that gives them about 60 days to put through what would be monumental legislation. So the, the sort of odds makers, if you will, are really, you know, thinking that any chance of this uh, bill getting through the, the the cogs of Congress is essentially zero at this point. So unfortunately, I think we have to wait till the November midterms in the U.S. And then it's sort of anyone's guess what. Many investors are hoping for in the interim is maybe some sort of banking reform or some sort of single issue uh, piece of legislation that could get things going. But um, there's just too many cooks in the kitchen and we have sort of the powers that be uh, in America between the Republicans and the Democrats likely changing power, uh, you know, in the next couple of months here. So unfortunately, it doesn't give a lot of certainty to when it might occur.
1: Uh, You know, what's going through my mind right now uh, is, is another drug that is legal. Uh, and I guess you'd call it serotonin, is it adrenaline, all stimulated by gambling. The amount of gambling ads that we are seeing and being exposed to to encourage such behavior to allow the release of such endorphins or stimulants within the natural body is unbelievable. But it's really the same thing, looking for some kicks. Am I, am I, am I off uh, offbeat with that statement, in your opinion?
2: No, I don't think so. I mean, they're, they're obviously different things, but there's, uh, you know, the, the, the recreational side that many consumers are looking for. Some of it can be, yeah, through substances, some of it through those types of activities. It is, you know, funny to me that you, and I have I, noticed that myself on the gambling side, just how pervasive it is. And if you're watching certainly any sort of sports channels or, or commercials therein, and what I find funny is on the cannabis side, you know, it's almost the opposite where they can't, you know, advertise on TV. The dispensaries still look illicit. There's still a bouncer on the outside of it. The branding is essentially non-existent, so being treated very differently in terms of uh, federal regulation.
1: It is without question, and uh, again, the, the the shops when you see them in Toronto, um, you know, they they still look somewhat seedy, uh, and I'm I'm still surprised, in fact, that the provinces didn't take complete control of distribution, because uh, I do think the LCBO. Does a pretty darn good job procuring uh, uh, spirits and wines internationally and keeping their prices, I'm going to say competitive, but I can't believe I'm saying that, but they are actually competitive and what a cash cow for the province. Um, these independent dispensaries, I, I do wonder every now and then what goes on behind the doors. Uh, and I, I could only uh, guess, uh, I could only uh, imagine. Uh, Jack, what, what's your take on all this? And again, uh, fire a few questions off to Matt, our, our uh,
3: pot analyst. Yeah, thanks, Wolf. And thanks, Matt, for joining us. Uh, being in the show, you mentioned about uh, 800 licensed producers in Canada. And that's often something that you see, I guess, when when something's rolled out or becomes legal or something's very new. You have a, a lot of players in the space. Uh, over time, you see consolidation. That, I'm going to say, happens more rapidly, especially when companies are burning cash. How do you How do you see these producers? How do you see it playing out for some of these producers, 800 of them? And uh, in terms of consolidation, who do you think the winners are in the Canadian uh, cannabis space?
2: Well, yeah, we've seen a lot of deals in the last couple of years. And the challenge with consolidation in uh, the Canadian market is what exactly are you buying uh, outside of the infrastructure and, you know, the facility and 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 the grow, which, you know, clearly there's there's been almost, you know, a saturation of that. Well, not almost, there's been clearly a saturation of that given all the write-offs you see in the sector. So outside of the tangible assets, not a lot of these brands seemingly have, you know, longer term goodwill or or brand equity right now. We've seen a lot of deals in this space where you purchase, you know, an LP that might have a couple percentage market shares. And then once everything gets consolidated, everything's sort of on a a declining basis thereafter. So I think outside of consolidation, probably what's happening now and and what's going to happen first is just the operators that are clearly not being able to turn a profit that, you know, do not have critical master scale, that are not large public companies. I think those operators are eventually going to go by the wayside and really my view of when M&A might make sense in terms of buying other LPs for their domestic presence really doesn't make sense in my opinion until the regulations change where brands can actually be built. I don't think the average Joe or Jay on the street really can name a lot of cannabis brands outside of the public companies themselves. So I think because of that, M&A in this sector will probably be more peripheral. So we've seen, you know, Tilray buy some craft brewers in uh, in, in, in the United States. We've seen, um, you know, a couple of uh, infrastructure builds out in Portugal to help supply what's soon to be hopefully the German market. So things that aren't actually related to the domestic opportunity in Canada is where I think you'll see M&A first. And then, you know, once the regulations get cleaned up a little bit, maybe then it makes sense to have... You know, tuck on or tuck in acquisitions for, for brands that start getting a little more awareness as this market evolves.
3: And what type of regulation change do you, is required to, I guess, start to be able to build these brands? I would assume it's around marketing and the like, so that, you know, it really is a commodity and has to be differentiated. So, how, do, how does uh, regulation change so that these companies can advertise, build brands, uh, and create good marketing strategies?
2: Yeah, well, I think the ability to obviously have sort of legacy media, um, you know, things like on the ice at a Leafs game or, uh, you know, just advertisements on television, um, you know, those are sort of more traditional. But I think even the stores themselves act as a bit of a deterrent um, for, for new consumers to come in, people that have already, you know, consumed cannabis uh, with a level of regularity, you may not care, but if you're someone that's walking down the street anywhere in Toronto and you never tried cannabis before, the, the stores aren't that welcoming. And when you walk into the stores, all the products are behind another room. Even when you get the products, they come in a little almost brown bag. There's no advertising on it. So it's really not conducive to having the new person that, you know, may not be a historical cannabis consumer, try what are going to be eventually branded products down the road. So I think you have to make these stores look a little more welcoming. Uh, And I think you have to have just the overall federal regulation of what is allowed to be done when it comes to, you know, legacy type of media uh, before you're going to see sort of this next leg of growth, which is going to be consumers that really haven't participated yet uh, one way or the other.
1: Here's the Hi-Fi Radio, 640 Toronto, each and every Saturday, Jack Hartle and myself, Wolfgang Klein, spend an hour with you, bringing you the latest and smartest minds on Bay and Wall Street to help all of us learn how to, well... Build wealth. This was all about building wealth. Uh, Matt, we're going to uh, take a quick break and get right back to our discussion on cannabis. Uh, Matt Bottomley, uh, one of our key analysts uh, focusing on the domestic and international uh, cannabis sector. Uh, I do want to talk international with him uh, coming out of the break, specifically Europe and see how far along the road they
0: are to going illegal. (sighs) Let's
1: make it right back to the show. Hi-Fi Radio, 640 Toronto.
0: Let's take a break. Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio on 640 Toronto.
1: You learn, and as we learn, we make more money, and hopefully you do as well. If you have any questions, by the way, about money, Jack and I are the people you need to call. WolfgangKlein.com is where you can find us. Send us a note. We will get back to you and uh, look forward to speaking with you. I really, really do enjoy having conversations with our listeners. It's an absolute privilege. Indeed, it is. Uh, Matt Bottomley, a cannabis analyst. Uh, You mentioned uh, Europe, uh, specifically Germany. Um, I just came back from Europe I was in Italy and uh, there there were signs on uh, uh, street what do you call them uh, posts you know lamp posts not a lamp post uh, legalized cannabis legalized cannabis saw quite a few of them uh, and apparently they have I, I believe they decriminalized cannabis in Italy but it is still I guess illegal per se to possess uh, uh, Possess, and they will I guess give you I think it's treated as a misdemeanor and give you a ticket Um Germany, again, very progressive. I understand that they were looking to open up the medical side of, of cannabis consumption. Uh, but there, too, I believe that they, to some degree, have decriminalized cannabis some five or ten years ago. And I think, I think that's more of a provincial thing than a federal thing. So a lot of nuances in Europe. Um, share with us where you think Europe is going to go in terms of uh, you know, mirroring the Canadian uh, direction. Uh, and who, who's going to get there first, i.e., Europe en masse, because uh, Portugal obviously decriminalized all drugs, uh, or America? And I think, I think Europe is going to be ahead of America in terms of, uh, you know, uh, being more liberal about consumption of cannabis. Matt, you're the expert. Share with us uh, your viewpoints.
2: Yeah, I mean, we've been, uh, you know, tracking, you know, the European markets and, and looking at those opportunities for some of the acquisitions you see in the space and just sort of market trends. Really, since Canaccord picked up coverage in the space back in 2016. And there's been a lot of movement in terms of the headlines and in the sentiment and, you know, potentially what's what's happening here. But it, it's very slow moving. And, and we've seen this even, you know, on a state by state level in the U.S. There's just some markets, <clears throat> excuse me, that even when, um, you know, regulations change, just takes years and years for them to, to get sort of their ducks in order. So, Really, there's two markets of note right now in Europe where we think, um, you know, there's some meaningful changes on the the relatively near horizon here. Um, And Germany is one of them and the other is Israel. Both are looking to um, legalize adult use cannabis uh, potentially in in the coming 12 months here. So although that's great for the potential market TAMs and and all the different, you know, maybe even Canadian operators that can go and, and supply there. And some of them are already doing it from a medical standpoint. You know, I think even if legalization happens a year out, you know, that's when the clock, the clock starts and it could be, you know, several more years after that before we, we see anything. So I don't think there's any winners or losers you can handicap right now, just given that licenses obviously haven't even been issued and we don't really even know what the rules of, of, of the game are there. But certainly you have a lot of expertise coming out of Canada and Tilray has, um, you know, the largest dispensary or I shouldn't call it dispensary uh, distribution model there, which are more like um, more like pharmacies. Uh, as a platform acquisition that they purchased about two years ago, so if that's where cannabis products are originally sold, you know they sort of have a head start that way. but I'd say the jury's out, but I think that the the European market is going to actually start to matter in the coming years here, whereas if you go if you went back three or four years ago, it was just sort of you know pie in the sky optionality. but you know your comments on italy are 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 very uh, common throughout many many markets over there, people are demanding at a minimum decriminalization, but but certainly overall legalization polls very favorably throughout uh, many countries. It, it
1: does indeed. Um, I, I go back to uh, commoditization of cannabis. I've been saying this from the get-go that cannabis is very easy to grow, no more difficult than growing tomatoes. Um, the the so how do you differentiate? And I, I now think about um, Molson Labatt. Uh, right? Molson and Labatt. That's what we had in Canada forever. Uh, It it was a two-horse race, and they basically got consolidated and gobbled up as well. Budweiser took one, and I can't remember what happened to the other one. It got bought by I guess the Brazilian company. Um, Highly fragmented space right now, uh, cannabis. In a commodity-driven world, uh, you gotta think it's going to end up as an oligopoly with one or two major players with brands around their bud. Uh, And we spoke, we, we opened the show with us, but I don't think it's because of the peculiarities of the sector. I don't really see that happening anytime soon, Matt. Uh, Again, due to regulation, due to the newness of it, and yet we're all other substances seem to be having a greater challenge finding media that will accept them. In other words, you cannot advertise cigarettes anywhere. Uh, The Molson Indy no longer is the Molson Indy for, for, again, because it's it, 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 it booze and, and driving. You can't put, line those two up. The Benson and Hedges Symphony of Fires can't even take place anymore. Uh, so a bunch of smoke in the sky from fireworks, but you can't do that. So, so I, I don't see the, the legislation allowing uh, for the uh, marketing uh, aggressively of, of cannabis brands, brand, um, Matt. But maybe, you know, you've spoken to some ad agencies or some people in the know. Uh, what's your viewpoint on how they're going to go out branding the bud?
2: Well, it's certainly a challenge, um, just because I think the main and you know the main concern from a regulatory standpoint is not being promotional uh, to sort of younger demographics, right? So yep. uh, the age of uh, consumption uh, is is definitely lined up with alcohol, so it, it's going to be similar in that way. But you know, the jury is out a little bit with respect to from a from a health and, and medical perspective. What does high consumption of THC do to someone that you know it doesn't have a fully formed? Uh, you know, frontal cortex, and, and, you know, that could get you into the early 20s before that happens. So they want to be cautious on that. Um, But I think if you look at alcohol, outside of, you know, your example with the Molson Indy and and things that are like that, alcohol is pretty liberal in terms of the overall, um, you know, ability to advertise here. You could wrap a Budweiser, you know, advertisement on a TTC bus. So I don't think we're going to get there out of the gate, but, you know, it's going to be something that I think is slow and steady. I think cannabis consumption in Canada has to become a little more normalized. Um, We have to see the regulations change like we chatted about before Um, and to your point it's going to be very slow and hard because at the end of the day a lot of people um, you know look at cannabis as a commodity and it is but if you look at a can of beer right it's four ingredients and eighty percent of that is water it's a commodity as well but you just have decades and decades of brand awareness and and I think you know there's going to be a bit of a slow burn in, uh, in Canada in the cannabis market to get to that point as well. Yeah,
1: I I don't know if if I I can't see in the next 10 years, Matt, um, true brands of cannabis uh, coming to market. Obviously, there's street brands, Kush and Tush and whatever. I I don't know what they are, but there are street brands. Will they take those street names and parlay them, perhaps? Uh, But will the the, uh, regulating body of communication allow for it? Again, you know. Marijuana is sort of a, 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 a pack of smokes and a case of beer all in one. You smoke it and uh, it intoxicates you, no different than a can of beer and a pack of. So I find that one to be very, very uh, tricky. Um, Matt, uh, you know what's incredible as well is, is the darling of them all. Uh, I'm speaking now about uh, Bruce Linton's old company. Symbol was weed. Uh, what's the name of the company again? Uh, Cons- yeah. no, it's owned by Constellation. Canopy growth. Was it again? Canopy growth. Yeah. Um, the absolute darling of stocks
2: has been the biggest dog in the last, what, two years on the board. What happened? Well, I think it's a function of, you know, we saw another company called MedMen out of the U.S. in California, where I think it's a similar story where the aggressiveness of the capital allocation into a market where you cannot get a return on that dollar spent just because the market's not there yet, and um, you know the ability to get critical mass and market share is very difficult. Given that you have to sell everything through a provincial buyer, so there's a ton of red tape and bureaucracy when it comes to selling cannabis in Canada, even as a licensed producer. Um, it's just a hole now that they're they're really trying to dig themselves out of. I mean, they have you know 100 to 200 million dollars of operating losses every quarter, and new management, wow. which is effectively you know, some of the Constellation guys from uh, from prior years are coming in and, and trying to slow that burn and, and only focus on things where there's sort of an immediate um, ability to, to, to show profitability or, or to, you know, hopefully build brands. So I think they're still relevant just given that Constellation Brands owns 35% of the company and it's almost an option on U.S. legalization. If U.S. legalization goes in the next couple of years here, you got to assume that Constellation is going to be very aggressive in the beverage side of things, which is what Canopy has been working on. But domestically in, in, in Canada, it's, it, they've been very troubled. And part of that is just spending way too much in a market that um, you, know, you can't get the returns back uh, just given the saturated nature of it.
1: So in this environment, uh, with confidence, uh, how would you advise investors who are still interested in this space seeking value, but with a high probable occurrence of actually making some money, Matt. Is there
2: any any ideas that give you comfort? Yeah, I think timing's everything. And, and, you know, any investor in this space has to realize it's, you know, more speculative than your traditional uh, sort of blue chip. But um, I think you got to look to what we call the U.S. multi-state operators. These are companies that um, are much bigger than the Canadian companies because it's federally uh, illegal in the U.S. They can't trade on the TSX or, or, or the NYC, so they all trade on the, 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 Can- the Canadian Se- uh, Security Exchange on the West Coast, but they still have pretty good volume. And, you know, the largest company is one called Curaleaf. Uh, they're guiding for almost a billion five in revenue this year. Uh, free, free, free cash flow positive from operations. And you know these names, you know Trulieve is another one and Greensum Industries that just reported uh, last night had a very strong print. And you know if you look at the stock prices for these names, they, they've been coming down just like the Canadian ones, but it's not a function of their their fundamental performance. It's a function that the Blackrocks and the Vanguards and the huge you know, multinational institutions cannot own these names. So it's basically just a bunch of retail money that flows in and out of it very quickly. and there's really no long-term shareholders, on mass that are that are holding it for value they're looking for quick catalysts and you know earnings reports and things like that so you know I, I advise that that would be the, the place to look to you have to be able to um, you know accept that you can't call a bottom in these things and there could be a lot more downside in in the next months to even even year from now but these things trade at you know five times their next year uh, adjusted EBITDA um, and at peak we think it's going to be at least three or four X that but again timing's everything and I, I wish I could uh, give you a clear answer but Hopefully in the next you know, year to two, there's some real actual federal catalysts. And I think the, the multi-state operators are the one that will get the, the biggest bid on that.
1: Well, I do think Constellation's strategy is interesting. I'm also curious, and you may know, uh, what did they pay for their position in Canopy uh, and what's it worth today?
2: Well, yeah, so they probably have invested upwards of $4 billion um, mm-hmm. in, into the company. The the equity value of Canopy is probably a little bit of under $3 billion at this point. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's been something that's been very challenged. I think that, you know, at the end of the day, if Canopy is able to compete uh, in the U.S., you know, if, if the, you know, if regulations turn on and if the Canadian names are allowed to even participate, um, you know, there could be tremendous upside from what even they paid. But if, if we're talking about the return on their investment from, um, you know, the domestic opportunity that they're able to participate in in Canada, it's been a rough go, that's for sure
1: yeah no, yeah, they have to make the international state, but again, they are the purveyors of what uh, Corona and uh, just, just a multitude of, of, of brands, correct
2: yeah, I think Corona kind of shares its licensing rights depending on country on the country, but Corona would be the big one. They have Incalin in Ontario here for wine uh, as well, but yeah, there's a bunch they've got a whole suite of brands. Indeed. Uh, Matt Bottomley, I appreciate your time bringing us up to
1: speed uh, on the uh, cannabis space. Uh, obviously, very speculative arena, friends at home. Uh, and again, with no true long-term institutional investors, this is an important point that Matt's making, uh, it is basically crowded with retail investors, those who are left, uh, and when you're only with retail investors, it's a different trading arena, one that it can be much more choppy and, and a lot more volatile because there's no true long-term holders who will not sell the position just because it's down. Uh, so uh, keep that in the back of your mind. Again, I mean, if you're ever delving into stuff like this, give, give Jack and I a call beforehand. We're happy to talk you through uh, the landscape uh, a little more, I think, uh, articulately uh, than you would on your own. Uh, Matt, you have yourself a safe weekend, my friend. Uh, We'll check in with you very soon. We're going to take a quick break. Hi-Fi Radio, uh,
0: 640 in Toronto. Don't go anywhere. There's more Hi-Fi Radio in a moment. On 640 Toronto.
1: Back, my friends. I was actually waiting for the chorus line there, but a uh, bit of a long intro. Gold Dust Woman. I think to talk about heroin that one. I think that's what it's all about. Uh, but we're going to talk about gold, gold indeed. Uh, Jamie Carrasco, uh, portfolio manager with Canaccord. good friend of ours. Um, very creative individual. Just thinks differently. He's from Latin America. Uh, so his experience there with his local government and with dragons <laughs> throughout the continent is one of suspect. And when you don't trust your government, well, you think differently because of historic uh, past. Uh, It's as simple as that. Uh, So Jamie likes gold. Jamie is leery of the international monetary system. It's the money system that you and I abide by. Um, Jamie, uh, your space, my friend, the land of crypto, the land of gold, it's going to dust, man. Doesn't look good. Doesn't look good. And I own some gold. I hate gold. Why I go back to gold, I don't know. I somehow get lured back into it, and then it's going to head at it to me. Fortunately, when I go into stuff like that, I go small. And if you go small, you really can't get hurt. The name of the game is to have capital so you can come back to the party tomorrow. So don't lose all your money. Jack, how can you lose all your money? The two biggest mistakes people can make and put them at risk to losing all their money
3: before we get to Jamie? Thanks, Wolf. <laughs> We've seen this actually the last couple of weeks. We've seen it a couple of times. Concentration, Wolf and leverage and um, avoid those two things and you'll be a lot better off. That's for sure. As a long-term investor
1: concentration risk, that means putting all of your eggs in one basket. Uh, you know, some say put them all in one basket and garden with your life. But when it comes to the world of high finance, don't do that that. diversify yourself, but you're not on crypto. You're not on tech. You're not on oil, not on gold, a little bit of this, a little bit of that and of quality, always of quality. Uh, and the second one Jack mentioned is leverage, using borrowed money. I'll tell you what happened before we get to Jamie. In the world of high finance, on Bay and Wall Street, if you use borrowed money from the brokerage firm to buy additional shares because you have what's called a margin account, and the market goes down precipitously and quickly, uh, you can be taken out of your position at the worst possible time if you don't what's called meet a margin call. Margin call is when the credit manager says, hey, the stock's fallen, you don't have any margin left, you got to put more money in the account or we will sell you out. Uh, and there's a thing on Wall Street, never meet a margin call, let them sell you out, that means your position is going against you. But you set yourself up for being whipsawed, uh, only to sell at the bottom and see the market turn higher, and it is not a pretty situation. So how do you avoid that situation? Have everything fully paid for, and that's it. Stop there. No leverage on Bay Street. No leverage on Wall Street. It's not worth the stress. You don't need it to make money. You don't. You buy good stuff, and you do that for 25 years. That's our rule. Jack and I, we figure out 25 years before you see delicious, ripe fruits of your labor. Uh, Jamie Carrasco, Gold Bull. What do you think, my friend, of everything I just said to you? Talk to me.
4: The most important thing is the fact that nobody owns any gold. I know that everybody hates it, but if you look at asset allocation, it's less than half of 1% of people's investments. And I think that is a mistake. And I think back to what you were saying about strategy, asset allocation, discipline. If you're not, if you're only going to have a five percent allocation and it's reduced in size now to one percent it would make sense to just rebalance and bring it back and have the discipline to have some good quality gold companies. However here we are back above 1800. we hit 1650 everybody was selling nobody owns it. but central banks are stuck in a pickle because what are they going to do this time? The balance sheets are still at 35 trillion. Uh, in 2008, they were at 1000000000000 trillion. They're going to have to print way more money, and that's going to be highly inflationary. So, you know, I think it's still a safe place to be. It's a safe harbor. Nobody owns it, and I think the money is going to be coming in. in. In terms of printing money,
1: Jamie, um, let's, let's talk about that. As as the central banks reduce their balance sheets, uh what activity are they doing at that point? As, as they reduce their balance sheets and try to reduce the amount of bonds on their balance sheets, are central banks then going to be printing money or taking money out of the system?
4: Well, first of all, they're not reducing their balance sheets. They keep telling us they're tapering, but in Europe and Japan now, they're printing money because they got to control the yield curve. They can't allow interest rates to go up. The Fed hasn't tapered at all, and they've been the biggest buyer in the last auctions over the last two months. Nobody's buying U.S. treasuries. So the Fed will have to step in and buy. On top of that, there's an election coming. Look at what's happening, how quickly the economy is slowing down in the U.S. because there's so much debt, just a little bit of interest rate rise has created a massive problem on the interest rate expense. So what we have is a Latin American inflationary storm. I'm glad you mentioned Latin America earlier because this is exactly the same thing, but in massively bigger levels of debt because... It's the U.S. that's been borrowing the money. It's Europe. It's Japan. So, you know, we can talk about taper, but show me the taper first. There hasn't been any.
1: Jack, I want you to pipe in here. Uh, you're, you're my economist. Um, uh, what, please. Uh, your your viewpoints on, on, on gold levels of debt and inflation, uh, is it being con- going to be contained in North America or is it going to go Latin American style?
3: Well, it remains to be seen, Wolf, but I will say that gold is supposed to do well in a deflationary environment and it's supposed to do well in an inflationary environment. And um, again, like you said, we haven't had a whole lot of success investing in gold. Uh, we've kept it small. Um, it feels like right now that the, the gold trade is fighting the Fed and the Fed is winning. And by that, what I mean is as interest rates have risen uh, from basically zero to where they are today, call it the 10-year at 2.5%, maybe 26 um gold has been very challenged so we talked about the fed pivot in the past and that's basically the, the the federal reserve the central bank in the us saying that maybe they have gone too far slowed down the economy enough and they're going to start to reduce rates or at least maybe uh, not increase them at such a rapid pace that may be a catalyst for gold and i'd, I'd maybe like to see, hear what jamie has to say about that so we haven't seen the taper yet um do you expect the fed, the fed pivot to maybe be a catalyst for gold or, or what do you see on the near-term horizon
4: well, I think that when you look at the economic numbers coming into the fall and with the election as well, they're going to have to do something, right? It's, what was that, uh, uh, Clinton's line? It's the economy, stupid. Remember that? I think it's the same thing again. Uh, it's the economy in the U.S. is slowing down. People are hurting. You're seeing it today. Look at the, the uh, people are lining up for more unemployment insurance. Even though they drop out of 90 days, that number's still high. So things are being affected. So I don't think the economy is getting better. The economy is slowing, slowing down. Global economies are slowing down. We're coming into a winter. This Ukrainian situation is creating a lot of energy inflation. Europe's in trouble. So the central banks are going to have to print. I don't think, uh, you know, I'm looking at at a massive storm in the horizon. I don't see any clearance in that storm. Uh, no matter what they say. So I'd rather own go with gold and the similarities to 2008. It's funny because I've been reviewing accounts with clients that moved to Blackmon in January of 2008 in anticipation of what happened in 2008 because central banks had to go batty with the printing to to keep us going. This time, they're going to have to print way more. And, you know, starting in 2008, I've been looking at the at, – at because I still have the records of what was transferred – through the middle of 08, gold went from beginning of 08, 900 to 600. Once it rebounded, it doesn't stop till 1900. That was a 225% increase. And I think the, the setup is exactly the same thing again. So I'm still trusting that history is going to repeat. And I'm holding my allocations.
1: Uh, Jamie, uh, bullion or producers? In other words, old, do you think you're better off owning the gold miners? Because uh, in my opinion, they're a bag of hammers. They're a bag of hammers. With exception, a perhaps, of big equity. No, or do you own a bullion? And personally, I'd almost defer to owning bullion, but that's like watching paint dry. You have a chance to make better money in stock themselves, but that really hasn't been the case. Great uh, question. Certainly with the, with the large, yes. So you got 90 seconds. We're going
4: to get to break. Great question. In 2008, Gold corrected 35%. This time, we're still flat for the year, so we haven't really corrected. But the companies have corrected in the same way that they did in 08. Now, there's the disconnect, because if you look at Agnico Eagle's earnings that just came out, they're showing that even in this environment, they're not like Newmont, right? They're not like Barrick, like the big boys. The companies, if you look at the earnings leverage on these companies, it's unbelievable, and they're going to have an amazing upside as gold starts to move. So the setup to me, the producers, is where the money is, right? That's where you have reserves on the ground, good quality companies making a lot of money with a lot of leverage, and I think gold, once it takes off in U.S. dollars, because it's already taken off in yen, in euros, it'll be accelerating up against all fiat currencies. And that's what I've been betting on or or why I like this trade and why I position my clients into this. Because at that point, we're really going to be able to measure true inflation in the system. Interesting.
1: Jamie uh, Carrasco, Portfolio Manager with Canaccord. Uh, we're talking gold. We're going to talk a little bit about crypto coming out of the break. Uh, this is Jamie's ballywick uh, because you, we often invest based on where we come from. all no part of, well, no part of the market. We're going to take a quick break, get right back to Hi-Fi Radio 640
0: in Toronto. Want to make more money? Stay tuned for more Hi-Fi Radio on 640 Toronto.
1: I am Wolfgang Klein. Call me a money doctor. Not feeling so good about your money? Call us. You're feeling great about your money? Call us. Any questions about money? Call us. That's what we do. We do Money Jack and I. Big picture, granular, everything in between. So, from will and estate planning, financial planning, risk management, which is insurance, tax planning, which ties into insurance as well. Uh, entering into retirement, cash flow analysis, cash needs, how to draw down your account, where will the money come from, most efficient ways of... There's a lot of stuff, as perhaps you can hear. Uh, That's what we do. We help clients with that. And ultimately, we build beautiful portfolios that stand the test of time. Uh, Gold is biblical. It It stood the test of time, no question about it. That's the commodity itself.
4: Will crypto... Stand the test of time. Jamie Carrasco? Definitely. It's like the Internet. It can't be stopped. It's funny because the Bank of International Settlements, the Bank of Banks, came out with a paper about a month ago advising that banks hold 1% in reserves in Bitcoin. It's a clear indication that uh, the technology itself is embedding itself in society. And I think it's like the Internet circa 1996. Um, where you know, if you look at the pullback we 've just had similar to the dot com because what was happening is the mess up of some of these stable coins and the loans, which are to me a mixture of using the analog uh, music in digital technology the, de- the the old centralized banking system and the new tools of the decentralized blockchain system are not going to work together. And that's why those things are blowing up. But the technology itself works. So it wasn't Bitcoin the problem. is the stuff that they embedded in the Bitcoin that blew up. But the technology, if you look at transactions, you look at the cost savings of the technology from an accounting perspective as a ledger works, and you can't stop it. And that will be very disruptive and very worth it to those that can understand how to, how to benefit from it. Unlike the Internet, now we have a way to fully participate in the building of this new network. So, yes, I'm a a believer. Asset allocation, again, because it's highly volatile. So make sure you know 5% of a portfolio and hold it there, which is what I do.
1: Uh, I'm just looking at Coinbase Global. Uh, You you can laugh at me uh, right here, right now. I bought that stock. I I confess, okay, but it's, it's cathartic for me, and it's part of the process. You know, Jack and I know how to manage money. And even as experts in this business, we continuously, well, I don't even want to call them mistakes. It's about probabilities, I believe. You've you got to d- deal with customers at the casino door. Some customers will be winners and others will be losers. But the casino at the end tends to make, it doesn't tend, it does make money. And so, again, it, as long as you're in the market and good stuff over time, you will do just fine. But there will be some bumps along the way. and You have to accept it as a cost of admission. So my Coinbase Global Trade I literally, I must have had the high print, plus or minus 1%. And I sold it, I swear to God, Jamie, at 50, what, 52 bucks. I couldn't take it anymore. I said, I got such a loss in this thing. Uh, I, I, we're, in, we're in the middle of the year. Tax loss selling in the United States takes place in September. So that's when weak stocks become weaker. Uh, and I said, time to deploy the money. And I said, Jack, I'm probably going to mark the low print on this stock. I tend to, you know, when something gets so bad, I, I tend to sell really at the wrong point, And I'll probably mark the low print. Honest, i I'm going to again be cathartic and share that with the audience right here right now. Uh, stock is up what eighty percent before I sold it. I sold it at fifty three thousand ninety four Jamie uh, a month later and so, so there's a lesson to be learned and I, I'm not surprised by this I sort of expected it took my loss anyways but when the market turns, it turns so quickly and, and that's usually a third of the it can often be the third of the move that most people who think that they, they can get out and get back in miss that easy part of the trade, but it's never easy when you're in the middle of it. Uh, speak to that, Jamie, about the way this stuff can turn. Uh, and Bitcoin at 21,000, you know, what's, what's your forecast for it? How does it play out? Does it go lower than higher? Does it go higher from there? Well, what, what's your guesstimation?
4: I think, God wise, 80% that we've already hit the low for this cycle. And I think that will be marked. Um, there was a company called. Um, uh, global strategy by Michael Sayer that had spent some of its cash buying Bitcoin. That was the big news in this in the upside of this cycle. He was just taken down as the CFO. He's being moved aside, and I bet you the new management is going to sell all the Bitcoin that he bought, and that'll mark the bottom for this cycle. You know, always happens when uh, when when uh, at these levels. Bottom line, asset allocation. Uh, my bit, My my minor position from twenty twenty. To the end of 2021, was up 2,400 percent. But I kept taking profits, taking profits, cutting it back, cutting it back, and then I held. I've held what was, you know, that five percent or whatever it was that I had in the accounts, and now I've been buying it back on this down dip, right? So asset allocation is key. It's volatile, but the technology is here to stay. That that's, um, you know, and I've been in it since about 2018. With Hive, uh, and by the way, one of the good things about Canaccord is our research, we are one of the few firms that actually follows this sector. And there we have some really good analysts following this uh, this sector, and I would defer to them in terms of what companies to buy. But again, make sure that you maintain an asset allocation, and the technology is going to be very transformative.
1: Well, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you on the ledger, uh, and it is here to stay. Uh, probably similar to the similar to the cannabis space there are a lot of participants right now uh that industry will get consolidated uh the issue around as well again we we're the show's we're going to wrap up here but the amount of fraud um and dubious activity that you are now hearing about that has taken place or had taken place in the land of crypto on an international basis Uh, again i think
4: it was that the dot coms in 2003. There will always be some of that.
1: There's no question about it. I think this just opened the gate up to, to, to further dubious activity because it, it it came from the dark web, so to speak. You know, crypto was supposed to allow um, criminals to fund their activities. Obviously, not the case. Obviously, a very legitimate uh, uh, entity. Through what's known as blockchain. Run of time, Jamie Carrasco, portfolio manager, Canaccord, expert in uh, alternative asset management, I shall say. Uh, great to have you on the show, it really, as I enjoy it. Always a pleasure, guys. Yeah, you have yourself a great weekend. Jack Ardle, portfolio manager, partner of the Wolf on Bay Street, uh, producer of the show, I shall say, uh, and a very fine student of broadcasting. Indeed, a student, as we all are, we're students of the business. Uh, and we are your student, my friends. If you have any questions about money, WolfgangKlein.com is all you need to check out. We'll take care of you. Have a great weekend